The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they manage to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive Podcast. My name is Jonathan Busfield. I'm joined here by my co-host, John Kuna. As always, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. Today, you know, we don't have a specific athlete and topic. We're actually going to sort of recap uh, our first 10 episodes. I think 10 episodes was a lot of work. Uh, I, I think uh, we both had an idea of how much work it would take coming in, but it, it definitely surpassed <laughs> that. Um, so, you know, key takeaway, not easy to, to have a podcast, right? Right. Um, so we're going to get into that today. We're going to talk about our first uh, first 10 episodes and sort of our takeaways. We usually, t- you know, discuss our takeaways about an athlete or about a mental health issue or that kind of thing. Today, we're going to discuss our takeaways from doing 10 episodes of a podcast on these types of uh, issues and athletes. Um, so before we do that, I would like to just take a little bit of time to thank a few people. Uh, obviously, I think we've talked about this in other episodes, but success, uh, I wouldn't say this podcast is a success, but anytime you you take a chance to do something new and you're able to do it, at least fairly well, I think, that to me is a success. It means you set a goal and it means you you push yourself to mm-hmm. see it through to the end or see it through to a certain stage of that goal. And I think we've done that. And I think I'm proud of it. I, I know you are, right? Mm-hmm. Um that doesn't happen alone. Right? There's a lot of people that go into these types of things. We've, we've tried to say that in other episodes that one of the biggest myths we see in working, I mean, we work mostly with young guys, but is that they think success has to be done solo. Like they they cannot accept help. They have to find some path to, to proving that they can do it on their own because that's what would allow them to accept themselves. It's just not how it goes, right? Right. Um, so we want to thank the people that have been involved. We want to first thank uh, Dimitri and, and the Go Network. Dimitri is a, a podcast producer master. Yeah, uh, wizard. He, oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and he's not afraid to tell us when we need to stop spinning in our chair. Right. Uh, and, and doing things like that, which we're going to get into. Um, there's a learning curve, and, and he's helped with that immensely, and we really can't thank him enough. So we appreciate that, Dimitri. Mm-hmm. Um, we also want to thank Cody Brackett is our... Um, he's like our, our video editing wizard, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's amazing. Yeah. I want to thank him, uh, very much for all the work, the graphic work and, and the video editing that he's done for us, uh, always on a quick turnaround. He's great at that stuff and he's a great person as well. We also want to thank Christina and Julia at CJPR. That's the, um, the social media management and PR company we've been working with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to thank them. They've been uh, a great help. I want to thank Tom Nguyen at Revive Digital Design. Tom did our, our Grim Drive website. Um, and he's helped us with, you know, just the, the podcast hosting sort of process. And it's, it's like speaking another language. So we want to thank Tom because he's, he's got that down. Yep. And then we also want to thank, um, our logo designer. He did our, our Grim Drive logo. He's done logos for our programs and for our, our main company, Riser and Tread. Um, I don't even know. I think his name is Sergey, Sergey. I don't even know. Like he just got, (laughs) I tried to find out, but he just, he said just to mention his, his like, you know, um, designer name at 99designs. So his designer name is design underscore 13. Mm-hmm. And if you go into 99designs.com, you can 
you know, get logos done for pretty uh, good prices. And he's so design underscore 13 is the guy who's done our stuff. I think he's out of Russia. I have no idea. Yeah. I, just, I just know that he's he's super nice and he's very creative and he's very responsive. He's just a, a great guy to work with. We've done a lot of work with him. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's really important to take time to, to thank everyone. Cause just to your earlier point, like we, we talk a lot about we no one can do it alone. And a lot of guys that come through our door think that they can mm-hmm. um and so this is just sort of a you know practicing what we're preaching of yeah. like the importance of taking just taking a moment to appreciate and show gratitude for the people who have helped us do this uh we certainly didn't know how much it was going to be coming into it but the people that we've surrounded ourselves with have really been an enormous support again to dimitri who's been able to like really help us with this and give us cues and things that maybe we could do a little differently or better mm-hmm. um which we're going to get into some of our failures <laughs> uh through this process but um just echoing thank you for everybody that's really helped us to to put us into this position to be able to do this work. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been a blast um, and a lot of fun, but we wouldn't have been able to do it with any of those people. Absolutely, absolutely. So, what are your takeaways about the the moments of growth, shall we call it? Uh, <laughs> uh, the spinning in the chair piece was one um, for that sure. That was me. By that the way. was that yeah, was Joth. Although I find myself doing it even now, I'm like resisting myself <laughs> spinning spinning in a chair. That started for me when we first started during the during the pandemic. We started to do. Um, YouTube videos because mm-hmm. we wanted to like just get some helpful information out there to people who were struggling and some parents had re- had asked us to do that kind of thing and I think it, I, I remember I don't know if it was your wife or my wife was watching the first video and she was like why are you spinning the entire time <laughs> like I didn't even realize I guess I just yeah. do this kind of thing where I'm spinning and it it helps me kind of stay centered so that's something I clearly brought into the podcast studio and didn't even realize until he pointed it out I think I've gotten it down so that I'm not, <laughs> not spinning anymore yeah but I'd be lying if I wouldn't say like I'm more comfortable when I'm spinning I think something about that rhythm yeah um helps me kind of stay stay uh, in a flow state or something but for I'm, sure yeah. I'm the same way like I need to when I'm when I'm talking on the phone with somebody and, and I get made fun of this at home but I'm like walking around yeah. the house like I yeah. can't it's hard for me to like sit and do that so yes. I, it's the same thing and I like again I can feel like my self resisting yeah, yeah. to spin but like I, that helps me to kind of do some some of that stuff and oftentimes you don't recognize those things because you've just been doing them mm-hmm. all the time so to have people come in and tell us like hey something you should think about yeah. you know exactly <laughs> you're spinning a lot in your chair and it makes yeah. it hard or um, you know for me I think one of the things that I've noticed and I've gotten feedback from some of the people who have listened and, and watched has been that like I nod my head a lot mm-hmm. so and it's usually like you know I'm in agreement with with you and it's something that I do like when I'm when I'm with people or I'm talking I'm sort of like yeah I'm with you like I hear you but it can be a little bit distracting sometimes so I've had to try to work on that a little bit um also well, in your defense i talk too much so i mean like you know you got you got to do something while i'm rambling on so and then just i think our like in the beginning there was i put a lot of pressure on myself of like oh i got to make sure that like what i'm saying is you know perfect and all this different stuff and i had that on myself and then you know it was it because of that i think it felt it came across at least in the earlier episodes as like not as organic and a mm-hmm. little bit too and i think the more that we've done this the more that we've gotten into more just like a conversational style yeah. it's been it's been much better that was certainly a process we've you know we've gone through 10 episodes now of of doing it it's t- so it's taken us that amount of time to mm-hmm. get there but um that's been one of the things that that i've been trying to work on of just being a little bit more conversational in the, yeah. in the approach rather than just like more like robotic, like here's yep. the things and this is this and this is that. Yeah. It doesn't come across as a listener. Like when I listen back, which mm-hmm. is uncomfortable as it is, um, that's something that I really noticed. Yep. And I got some feedback from you guys that were listening that that was like, hey, just be a little bit more 
like relaxed yep, when you're yep. having the conversation. So that's yeah, good. I definitely got that feedback in the first two episodes that um, you know felt a little rushed or that kind of thing. And it's, yep. it's hard. I mean, I, I think we've definitely come a long way from from episodes one and two to like now. I mm-hmm. think it's like night and day. Yeah, which is expected. I think there's a learning curve when you're doing things new and. And we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to balance like being ourselves and being conversational in a way that's approachable, but also getting that people right. listening important information and make sure we get that in there. That's a hard line to find. Mm-hmm. And I think that we've gotten a little bit better at that, but it, but it's a challenge. I think it was especially hard in the beginning. Um, let's see what else. What about you? What are your, what are your takeaways from that? From yeah. The, so, this? well, there's the spinning thing. There's um, moving, you know, moving your mouth. Like I, I move, like I'm, I'm moving around, like looking at different things. You can probably hear as I'm doing it. And, you know, I'm trying to look at my notes or I might look at the screen or I might look at you or I might look at Dimitri for a second. And every time you move your mouth, you're at a different, you know, <laughs> proximity to the microphone. Right. So that that takes getting used to being able to kind of like look around without moving your face and not spitting in your chair at the same time. It's it's uh, it's hard. You know, it's hard to get used to that. Uh, we've worn the same clothes a couple times. <laughs> uh, you know, a few people have called us out for that. Yeah. In our defense, we do. For, most people know this, but we we own a company together called Riser and Tread, where we do uh, therapy and coaching. You know, mostly with young guys, young young male clients. Not all, but most. Um, and so we have, you know, we have stuff where we represent the company. We have our mm-hmm. logo, and we and they're comfortable clothes. Um, both of us are you know, secretly on a mission to become Steve Jobs where we can just wear the same outfit every day uh, for ease of use. So, so make things easier. Yeah, but we, we maybe need to coordinate uh, which ones, uh, which merch we're wearing coming mm-hmm. into the episode so that uh, we don't have the same green hoodie on every time we uh, we do that. But we, we lucked out today, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I think other than that, I mean, I, I, I think those are the main ones. You know, we, we didn't have too many, you know, uh, issues with doing multiple takes. You know, I think we, for the mm-hmm. most part, episode zero, we had to do a couple times. Um, mm-hmm. But besides that, there weren't many outtakes. I think there was one where I had to, I, I just, you know, wrote a note down that made no sense. It made, <laughs> made sense the night before. It didn't make sense when I was looking at it during the episode. And that threw me off and we had to, Dimitri had to kind of restart us. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, you know, you haven't had a single one. No pressure, John. Yeah, don't, right. Don't, don't no, today's, today's the day. First time for everything. <laughs> so I think that, yeah, those are the main takeaways in terms of, um, you know, who we want to thank and what we've learned so far. I do want to cover one thing, you know, in this episode as well. And it's just to to kind of clarify how what our approach is or how we choose athletes, but mainly topics. I think, you know, we're trying to get a balance of topics that cover a wide range, right? So we don't, we don't want to fixate on on uh, labels. We don't want to fixate on just mental illness and you know depression or um, you know anxiety or bipolar and just like only do mm-hmm. diagnoses or labels. Right. But we don't want to ignore those either. You know, we don't mm-hmm. want to leave those out because those are important for people to understand what those are uh, and and how to you know uh, see the signs of that kind of thing. I think it's important to educate people on that. But we also want to talk about you know issues, uh, certain emotions. Right. We did an episode on anger. We also want to talk about concepts that we think relate um to people's wellness whether it's masculinity or financial literacy or things like that Mm -hmm. so john for you i want i want to maybe just toss this to you to describe like for the listeners what's the difference you know between like mental fitness mental health and mental illness yeah and i think it's really important to sort of define these terms because with an influx of conversation around the topics i think there's also been an influx in confusion Mm -hmm. and i think oftentimes with this with this type of these types of things, people sort of like pull hot topic words and put them in places that maybe don't necessarily belong. And I think mental health and mental illness especially are two prime examples. And so I wanted to, I think, taking some time to 
define those terms would be really important. I think when you think of the concept of mental fitness, that's much more of like a proactive, like coaching skills based training of here are some things that will be really helpful for you to build just a greater mind, right? Greater mental fitness piece. So you t- you can talk about like goal setting, fear setting, visualization, imagery, those types of things to kind of help, you know, strengthen the mind and the brain, mm-hmm. uh, but much more of a proactive approach to doing some of those things, more like performance mindset. Yeah, I feel um, like proactive is a, is a great way to do it because yep. a great way to put it because you're really like you're training your brain consistently instead of like waiting for something to happen and then reacting. So, right, yeah, exactly, yeah. which I think in our field, oftentimes people are coming to us in that proactive, like retroactive stage, yeah, right? Like yep. something has gone wrong or they're in a, they're in a bad spot and yeah, they damage need help. control. Basically. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, and mental fitness is much more about like things are going well, but that doesn't mean that things couldn't be going better. So, uh, that's, that's, that's where we're hoping to kind of continue to push the dialogue of mm-hmm. this is something that's not, you don't have to wait to get the skills. You can develop them now and be in a better, hopefully be in a better position to feel better. If things don't go well, You've already got the skills more to kind prepared. of help you, and you're more prepared. I think it relates to to athletics too, because right, time. you can you can you know touch on this a little bit, but like in terms of people training, you know, if you if you're not training consistently, if you're not staying in shape, um, you know, and this doesn't just apply to athletes. I think it's people in general. Mm-hmm. You're more at risk for injury because you're 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 not keeping your body in, in a yep. in a position to you know withstand some of the adversity it might go through physically. You're more at risk for for you know pulling something or breaking something mm-hmm. or that kind of thing. I think mental health is very similar to that, right? If you can kind of keep yourself sharp and keep yourself prepared and resilient and and understand how to stay ahead of the curve, right? Because we know a lot of this stuff is cumulative. Yep. It it, it seems like it comes out of nowhere, but it really does uh, start much earlier and it's gradual. And especially for guys, not just guys, but guys are just, you know, notorious for holding things in. That's the stuff. Like if you're being proactive with mental fitness, you're not holding it in. You're, you're really intervening earlier with certain skills and strategies. Yeah to release that a little bit so yep. that things aren't accumulating, right? Right. And then yeah. you get to that big moment of like, I can't hold this anymore. And then you got to come and talk to somebody because you, you're sort of in spiral. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that that's something that's big. And I think in terms of athletics, a very easy thing to to compare it to is if you want to get stronger, you go to the gym and train and lift weights and your brain is a muscle, you can do weight training for your mm-hmm. brain by doing some of these types of things. And when you sort of compare the two together, it's like, well... If I want to strengthen my my body and get faster or stronger, I go to the weight, I go to the gym, and I, I lift weights and I do that. Why am I not doing it for the, arguably the most important muscle in my in my body, which is my brain? And um, so hopefully through this conversation and other conversations that are going around the country, that people will start to understand the need for this sooner rather than waiting for something to go wrong. Um, mental health is I think the biggest distinction that we see, the discrepancy we see between mental health and mental illness is mental illness is really like the diagnostic piece, mm-hmm. right? Mental illness is like the depression, anxiety, the DSM-5. Yeah, they meet criteria right. or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to hit certain standards to get a certain diagnostic. That's mental illness. Yep. Mental health is not necessarily mental illness. Mental health is more of like the umbrella, umbrella genre of everything that goes into that. And um, that's more of like the, the broader topic and mental health doesn't necessarily mean you have a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You can still work on your mental health without having a depression diagnosis or an anxiety diagnosis. You can still be working on those types of things. And I think the conversations we hear now, a lot of them are talking about just mental health when they're really meaning to talk about mental illness. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it can split the conversation. So people mm-hmm. who are mentally ill, maybe don't feel like they're a part of mental 
health conversations yeah. or vice versa. Yep. Yep. Um, and really, I think that that's, that can be problematic um, in a sense, which is why we wanted to take some time to really like define these, define these terms. And mental health is more about like just your, a piece of your well-being. Mm -hmm. Right. Like nutrition or, you know, exercise and mental health. Right. It's a, those sort of like the, tr the three trifectas of sort of well-being. Mm -hmm. Mental health fits that piece of like making sure that you're, you're taking care of yourself through, you know, self-care, um, which, again, is another one of those topics and words that's sort of been stolen and morphed into something yeah, that's not yeah. quite accurate um and it's more of like it's almost like the butt end of a joke now but mm -hmm. it's, so it's taken away from the importance of like no it's really important to take care of yourself mm -hmm. um first and foremost and so that's kind of where i see mental health of like how do i take care of myself yeah right how do i what do i need to do to be able to be in a good space for the rest of the day or for for however long a mental illness is more of that like very direct treatment coming yep. in and working with a clinician or a psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever. We're going to get into that in a minute. But um, that's more about like the very specific treatment. So that's kind of how I see the breakdown yeah. of those of those three, of those, the difference between those three. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think, you know, mental health to me is like, you know, this, this sort of state of your mental health at present. Right? I guess that's the best way I would describe that word. Mental illness is sort of when mental health issues get pushed far enough that they you know, reach criteria for that, right? Mm -hmm. Again, so it's very kind of diagnostically based. I do think it's sort of a continuum, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's like mental health or mental illness. I think it's like this kind of gradient where like if your mental health, you know, gets to a certain range, you're you're approaching that line right. in terms of mental illness. And I think, you know, the, the it's a fine line between the two. Uh, you don't, it's kind of invisible, so you don't know when you're going to cross it. Uh, right. I think substance use can be like that. A lot of mental mental illness can be like that where, you know, it can seem like one day you were fine and then the next day you have a mental illness. So I, I think the, the line is hard to see. I think it's a fine line. I think there it, it's a continuum, but, you know, mental illness is always mental health, but mental health is not always mental illness. Yeah. I think that's one way to put it. Mm -hmm. um, and when mental health issues get pushed far enough to reach you know, the level of mental illness, it's hard to always know why that happens. I mean, sometimes it's because of, you know, gradual life events. Sometimes it's because of like the systems we're a part of or our, fam our family or, you know, different cultural effects or mm -hmm. things like that. Sometimes it's loss and grief. Sometimes it's trauma. Sometimes it's biological or hereditary, right? There's a lot of different factors that go into right. it. We don't always know why, right? So that's important to know too that, you know, it's not always like someone, uh, someone was, you know, mentally healthy and then they gradually kind of went to mental illness sometimes they were just predisposed to mm -hmm. have issues that that put them in a position of, of being mentally ill so it's kind of different across the board but i think we want to we try to choose topics that cover all three of those right mental fitness mental health and mental illness because i don't think it's it's i i know that things up to this point may have been geared much more towards labels and mental illness but we don't want to just completely disregard that either. I think it's important to educate people on some aspects of those mm -hmm. while also integrating mental mental fitness and mental health concepts to kind of normalize the continuum or the scale that people kind of are on. Yeah, and I think that hopefully this is where this is where it's going to go. And I feel like right now when I talk to like performance coaches around the country or other people, it feels like there's like just two pockets, right? There's no combination yeah. of mental illness and mental health and mental fitness. Yes. So you're either yeah. or, right? Yeah. And what we're hoping to be able to do here is like, why would you not want to combine everything yeah. all together to sort of, you can't 
work on mental fitness if you're mental if you're mentally ill you can't you know or vice versa so it, it, it needs to be a collective approach yeah. and there's not a lot of stuff out there that, that, that at least that i've been able to find that is like being able to combine sort of the clinical licensure stuff that we have with the more of the mindset mental fitness yeah. piece and that's our goal is we're gonna we're really trying to like you said we're trying to bring all three categories mm-hmm. together to talk about them because it's not happening anywhere yeah i agree i agree so on our first 10 episodes we're going to recap those a little bit briefly um and just talk about each one a little bit i guess i mean episodes one and two we mainly chose those because of their their role in mental health becoming more vocalized i do think now with regard to demar demar DeRozan and kevin love you know the way we titled the episodes were about depression and anxiety the way they talk about things are their depression or their anxiety so it very much is geared towards i guess you'd say mental illness mm-hmm. and at the same time uh, you know, they voluntarily talk about that stuff. They they want to go out there and raise awareness. So it's not like, in my opinion, I don't think they're being like used by the media. I think they have chosen to use the media to get their mm-hmm. message out. And I, I know sometimes people, athletes are maybe used for their their mental illness or their mental health situation. I don't think that was the case with them. I feel like they they wanted to do that. They yeah, chose to. I think and that's they why thought, they spoke up. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it was important. And we thought it was important to start with those because that's, in my opinion, that's really where there was a turn. Because if you look at the timeline, you know, DeMar DeRozan uh, tweeted about mental health, about depression on in February of 2018. Mm-hmm. Kevin Love then was, he even acknowledges, was motivated by DeMar DeRozan doing that. And Kevin Love spoke up about his, um, you know, mental health and mental illness in March of 2018. So that's a month later. Then Michael Phelps, you know, comes out and talks about his mental health and mental illness struggles in May of 2018. And then Robin Lehner is in September of 2018. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying that they're all related, but I yeah. think there's clearly something happening around that time where there 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 started to be a domino effect mm-hmm. in the athletic world with athletes talking about mental health, talking about mental illness, and wanting to use their platform to speak up and speak out and educate people about that stuff. So to me, I think that's a, a large reason why we chose those athletes in the beginning was because of their central role in really encouraging athletes everywhere to be honest and speak up about this stuff. Yep. Uh, then we chose to, uh, Serena. I mean, to me, I think Serena as an athlete is kind of on like the pantheon of greatest athletes ever. Yeah, right. Ever, ever, um, yeah. it's hard between sports and, and different things like that, but I think she's, she's gotta be at the top. That's, yeah. Um, so dominant athlete. And we thought it was important to talk about anger as an issue and dispel some myths, I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in terms of, you know, racial myths and gender-oriented uh, myths. We wanted to get into that episode for that reason. So that was kind of a cool one to do. Brad Marchand, we, we mainly did because, I mean, it was Boston athlete. <laughs> and and I thought it was kind of a cool way to to relate a unique topic to other people listening in terms of reputation and not being pigeonholed into, into you know, our roles when we're younger and families and things like that. Yep. Um, then we get into Josh Gordon and and substance misuse, and we actually changed our title. Yeah, we're growing as we do this, right? Mm-hmm. When we ch- choose titles, we're trying to to identify the topic or issue that the person is either kind of aligned with or they spoke up about. Um, sometimes that's because in a good way. Sometimes it's because it needs to be kind of questioned or challenged. Mm-hmm. Uh, anger is a good example of that. That's why yeah. we put anger question mark for this arena episode. Um, but with Josh Gordon, you know, substance misuse, we had labeled that substance abuse. And I guess, you know, more recently that's been that term substance abuse has been gotten away from in right. a good way. And we're, and people are preferring substance misuse, misuse. instead, yep. which I think is a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. so we're learning as we do this, right? Yeah. I didn't even know that either. So we switched the title on, you know, podcast platforms, YouTube, things like that. Um, 
that episode sort of relates to Robin Lehner, who we, we also talk about because of the connection between trauma and substance abuse. And so we tried to cover two angles. With Josh Gordon, it's much more about, you know, um, the things he went through and, and, and the substance use specifically. And then with Robin Lehner, we, we more kind of focus on the trauma piece and, and PTSD. So we mm-hmm. try to cover like the full kind of angle of that. Um, let's see. Then we get into the the – well, for the Josh Gordon episode – we had our first athlete engagement. Right? Chris Long uh, commented on on our uh, IGTV post, which if you want to check it out, you can. It's on my Instagram, at uh, Jotham Busfield. You can check out his comment. Let us know what you think about that. Um, it was good to get one athlete to interact yeah, with our stuff. Absolutely. Right? So then we get the Dak Prescott and, and recovery episode, which obviously is, is your mm-hmm. you know um, recovery mindset and injury recovery is, is one of your specialties when working with clients. So we knew that would be a great episode to do. Um, you really crushed that in terms of going through your process with athletes. And I got a lot of good feedback from people about that as well. One thing that my brother actually brought up, he made this point about, you know, he's, he asked if we're also going to feature Alex Smith in, in an episode because of, you know, there's a documentary out there about Alex Smith. Have you watched that? I've only gone through about half of it, but it's, okay. it's, it's yeah, pretty incredible. It's nuts, right? So we I had seen that before and we were kind of tossing around why to, to – do Dak as the athlete instead of doing Alex Smith. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately at the time we chose to do Dak, be, um, you know, because he was in the process of the recovery and it was sort of a multifaceted recovery with mm-hmm. mental health and, um, you know, and physical health. And he had been very outspoken about mental health and the importance of that. And we always try to like focus on athletes that do that. Yep. So Trev, you know, my brother made a good point about, you know, it, why he thinks we should feature, still feature Alex Smith. And he wrote, uh, he, he texted me, so the quiet man go, who goes about his business and doesn't show his emotions is often having trouble internally, and it can cause health issues by suppressing feelings. But what makes Alex Smith able to be successful doing so? Uh, so basically, he's asking us to look into different avenues to success. Because it, you know Alex Smith does very much seem like a person who, if you look at what he went through, and then you look at how he presents, mm. it's like, how is he so cool, calm, and collected, right? Mm-hmm. He's just this, like, naturally resilient guy, seemingly on the outside, who is able to, like, not be affected physically or mentally by the the drastic physical recovery he had to go through. Yep. He almost lost his leg, could have mm-hmm. died. Yep. And just seemed like he maintained, like, composure the entire time, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't phased at all. At least that's how it's seen from the outside looking in. So I wanted to, you know, get your thoughts on on that you know, question by my brother about, about, you know, featuring Alex Smith or, or what, you know, what allows someone like Alex Smith to be successful doing things maybe in a more stoic way? Yeah. I think we, we've talked about like, you know, different types of strength mm-hmm. and that there's the strength to be vulnerable, but then there's also the strength to be able to withstand and be resilient. And it's a fine line. I think both are highly valuable, but obviously Alex Smith seems to be more on like the stoic side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think when when dealing with this type of issue or dealing with someone who presents more stoic or more sort of internal, I always sort of look to like who who is surrounding this person. And I imagine, and I haven't seen the whole the whole piece, but his support network is probably relatively strong. The people around him giving him support. So he's not teams, doing it alone. Not right. doing okay. it by himself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Key point. Thank you. Yeah. So that's, you know, again, it's, he might be sort of able to hold and be stoic and go about his business. And he probably is hyper vigilant about what he wants to do and his goals. And it sort of sticks with that as a way to kind of continue moving forward, despite all the shit that he's had to go through, like physically, um, and having people around him that are going to help him on those bad days. Cause 
there's going to be bad days. Um, that would be sort of my my curiosity and my my thinking about you know what allows him to be successful is the team that is surrounding him is probably really strong. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think it's another example of how support matters so much and that even when a person is seemingly, you know, invincible uh, right. or able to, you know, push through adversity and they're resilient, that a lot of times it's it's not just them. You know, it's the people around them. Mm-hmm. It's their family. It's their parents. It's their siblings. Who knows, right? The people that are key in their life. So that's a great point. I think my, my three guesses that I, I texted him back that I thought it's my I have three kind of potential things or a combo of these things that go into what explains someone like Alex Smith being able to like kind of handle things the way he does. I think it's a combination of two and three, but I'll get to the three. So the, the first one is he's holding it in, right? So there, there's always a chance that he's he looks fine on the outside, but he's just really holding it really in. really struggling. Yeah, really yeah. struggling on mm-hmm. the inside. There's always a chance that that's happening with him or any person that looks like they had their you-know-what together all the time, mm-hmm. especially with guys. That tends to be very common. So that's one. The second one is religion. So... You know, I'm not going to get into my beliefs about religion because it's not relevant, but I think I think he's a religious person. And I think for some people who are religious, they're so committed to their faith that they kind of are able to deflect adversity as like part of God's plan. And mm-hmm. I think it, it, it speaks to some of the benefits that, that religion can have for people um, who have that intense faith. Mm-hmm. They're able to use it to be resilient and get through life. So I think that's pos- for some people that really helped. The third one is they're just lucky and naturally resi- uh, resilient. I think that some people are kind of you know, again, we talk about mental illness or physical illness and how sometimes, you know, you're just, you are, people are born, you know, predisposed to certain things going wrong and other people get lucky and you know, they get they hit the genetic jackpot and they just aren't. Yeah. Uh, and that could be phys- physically, or you think about athletes, like obviously anyone who plays, plays professional, uh, uh, plays a sport professionally is sort of at the top, top echelon of get, lucking out when it comes to physical uh, attributes <laughs> yeah. and just the ability to be an athlete. Not all, but but most are, mm-hmm. are kind of you know gifted with that, and then hard work just elevates them to the next level. So, I think I would guess for Alex Smith, it's the combination of two and three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, he doesn't strike me as someone that's holding it in, but you people are really yeah, good right at, at hiding. Really it. good so, at it. So, yep. I think that's how I would kind of cover that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was a good point by Trev, and I thought it was important. We might cover Alex Smith at some point, but we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll, we kind of want to um, cover any athlete that's shown to be able to go through adversity, but especially athletes that speak up about mental health. Yeah, absolutely. I think that brings up a good point too about like for people who are listening, we will respond to like feedback, yeah. or things or ideas yeah. or things like that. Like we we want to hear from you guys in terms of what you are curious about or what you want to learn more about to be able to bring stuff like this. So this type of stuff is great because then we can we can you know, vent on it a little bit and sort of share our thoughts and things like that. So, um, for people who are listening, please like keep, keep, keep the feedback coming in, post all that different stuff. Cause it makes it really, makes it really enjoyable for us to be engaging back with you guys. Um, and, and talking about some of the topics that they, you guys want to be talking about. Yeah. And that brings up a good point about how people should, should best like engage with us. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of open, like I'm on Instagram at Jotham Busfield. I'm on Twitter at Jotham L I C S W. Twitter is an enigma to me. I'm still trying to figure that out, and it's yeah. extremely negative. So yeah, I try to like I haven't gotten there yet. Oh yeah, just stay away. <laughs> just, just trust me. Um, so I, I'm trying to to be more active on those platforms, but I think it's 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 a learning experience. It's a learning mm-hmm. curve, like anything else. But so I'd encourage people to like you know engage with us that way, just so we can try to get a back and forth yep. going about some of these things. They're difficult topics, and we're not always going to agree on every aspect mm-hmm. of it. But the do- having a dialogue is the most important thing because to me. Even when like if we talk about something and we disagree about something, like we own a business together, so we're not always going to agree. 
it always feels like it elevates me and I get better at what same. I do by having, you know, um, a, an opinion that's not always the same as mine from a person I trust. I think that, that's important to have that mm-hmm. kind of dialogue. So, and I think it's the same with this stuff. Yeah. Um, so then we, the last two of the top 10, we had Hayden Hurst, uh, and suicide prevention, which obviously is a really important issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the numbers have not been going in a good direction. We thought it was really important to cover uh, how to prevent some things like that from happening. And then barstool sports and masculinity, you know, we wanted to round out the top 10 with a kind of outside the box episode. Um, and masculinity is a topic that we think relates to mental health and relates to a lot about mental fitness and things like that. So, And we're going to have a longer conversation on that yes. I feel like we were crunching a whole bunch of information in there and then we got going so yes. we definitely want to revisit some of that absolutely absolutely so a couple of the takeaways I had for me that stood out I guess this relates to kind of relates to the Josh Gordon episode but I think it, it relates to a lot of stuff in general and that's just, I would encourage people to like not underestimate your your brain or body's ability to adapt to negative lifestyles I think whether it's like alcohol weed negativity bad sleep poor diet no exercise mental health issues uh, toxic relationships. I think we have this ability as humans. It's both the, it's like a gift and a curse. We have this ability to like adapt to really bad situations or really bad things that we're doing in our life and not see what it's doing. It just allows us to kind of get through. Mm-hmm. And I think you often don't see what's happening until it's too late. Right. And an example of this is like, I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast the other day and he had a, um, I think he's an NBA reporter. His name's Chris Haynes on who was talking about his experience in the bubble. He was talking about how different teams reacted different ways to the bubble and how the Clippers were one team that was really struggling. And I think um, Paul George is someone that has come out and said he, like, he, he got depressed when he was in the bubble. I think he said that. Don't mm-hmm. quote me. Um, but that team seemed to not really do well with that isolated, contained environment. I think it was a struggle for people. And he was a reporter that was in the bubble because he was covering the NBA. And he said he didn't realize what it did to him until he got out, mm-hmm. until he left. And then he could reflect back. And I think there's so many issues with mental health that are like that, that it's very hard to see when you're in it day to day. It's very hard to see what it's doing to you. An example of this is like, let's say, you know, let's say I gained 20 pounds in in two months, right? And you hadn't seen me in two months. And I show up and I'm 20 pounds heavier. You're going to notice that. Mm-hmm. Now, my wife who sees me every day is not going to notice that really. Well, she might. I mean, she'd probably <laughs> see it, but she wouldn't notice it as much because we see each other every day, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to notice the problems that are slowly forming, in your own life because you're your own person. You're around yourself all day long, right? Mm-hmm. Literally. Yep. So it, it's important with mental health that I think people have to recognize how deceiving some of these things are and they form gradually. And it's really important to kind of effectively find ways to step back from the painting to get mm-hmm. a clear view. Yeah. If you're always smushed up against the painting, I like to use that that kind of mm-hmm. metaphor. Um, you're not going to see things clearly. You're not going to see the bigger picture. You got to find ways to step back. Um, so that's something I wanted to add. Yeah, I think that. Well, I mean, that's one of the benefits of coming and talking to yeah. a, trained, a trained professional. Totally, they can like force you to like back up and look at the look at the full painting, and like you you've been here up against it for so long. Well, let's see yes. the full picture um, from a non judgmental, not in your world person. Right? Yeah. I think it, that's that's part of why we do what we do and why it can be so effective. Because you, like you said, even even you know maladaptive or you know behaviors that aren't working in your best interest. Mm-hmm. Are still going to sort of be comforting because yeah, they're your norm used and they're norm, yes, right? Yes. And so even if they're not giving you what you need, and that's why sort of having someone to be like, "Hey, have you 
I'm noticing that this might not be in your best interest. Can you tell me a little bit more about why this is something that you continue to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and have someone sort of just challenge your challenge your behaviors in a in a way from a non judgmental standpoint, but be able to say like, huh, I'm wondering or curious if this yeah. is still working in your best interest to kind of force you to a little bit. Um, and I think that that's that's a huge benefit of coming in and talking to somebody like us. Totally agree. And sometimes it's um, you know primarily about just hearing yourself talk. I think you know it, it, we've talked about this in other episodes, but it's very hard to make sense of all the confusion and things that are going on in, in your life, in your head, mm-hmm. while it's in your head. Like you have to like either you write it down or talking about it is the best thing because you hear yourself and you get someone else, especially someone who's trained, to reflect back and to be able to kind of make sense of it all. That is proactive. That helps you make sense of things so that problems do not form. So that instead of getting closer and closer to the painting, you are getting farther back. You always maintain that that mm-hmm. nice kind of view of the full picture. Right really important when it comes to mental fitness and, mm-hmm. and ideal, you know, ultimately mental health. So yep. on that note, I want you to discuss a little bit, John, you know, how listeners can find a therapist. Cause let's say they're, I mean, it's a very confusing landscape. Yeah. You go online, mm-hmm. you do some searching, everyone's got a different slew of initials coming at them at the end of their name. What the hell do all those mean? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What would you um, say to anyone looking to find a therapist? I think for, for, first and foremost, like you said, there's there's a, a whole bunch of different initials after everybody's name. So we're uh, hopefully going to shine Everyone some Everyone loves to feel important. Light. Yeah, right? exactly. So, <laughs> um, And then there's like the psychologist, there's a psychiatrist, there's coaches, there's life coaches. There's a whole wide range of different people to go and back to get into. And I would say that the first priority um, would be to find someone that's the best fit. Um, I, you know, maybe a little bit biased, but in terms of this work, I far much, I fall much more, not to say that life coaches can't be helpful for people, but working with a licensed professional is, is in my opinion, yep. uh, more beneficial. I'll say that. Um, because, uh, the coaching industry is less regulated. I think they have like certification programs and stuff and I think mm-hmm. it's gotten better, but you just, they don't have degrees necessarily. So, and they're not licensed by a board that oversees their ethics and, and things like that. Right. So it's a little bit or more ongoing training or those yeah. types of things. It's, it's a, a bit, bit more less. like the wild west, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so there's different, there's variations of different licensures. And so in Massachusetts, there's LMHC, which is licensed mental health counselor. There's a clinician, there's LICSW licensed independent Counsel- clinical social clinical worker. social worker yeah. LMFT which is a licensed mental family therapist psychologist psychiatrist psychologist is someone who really focuses on on like testing mm-hmm. so you might hear, you might hear terms like a neuropsy like a, a neuropsych or a neurological psychological evaluation so that's when you go in you do sometimes multiple days of testing to figure out what a diagnostic piece might be it's basically a snapshot of how your brain works mm-hmm. so processing working memory there's a whole wide range a lot of, of feedback things. a lot of feedback data. in yeah. terms of how your brain best learns. Um, and then the psychiatrist is a doctor, a medical doctor who works primarily with medic medication, mm-hmm. medication management. So oftentimes if you're working with mental illness, medication might be a part of treatment and working with a licensed clinician mm-hmm. and a psychiatrist oftentimes happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of the, the difference. And a life coach is much more about, in my experience, more about like, mentality it doesn't you're, you're getting no clinical treatment whatsoever right, right. this person's not cl- not certified to be able to do that or trained to do that um, you shouldn't be anyway shouldn't yeah, i yeah, I, yeah, I hope not yeah. i think that's part of my fear that that stuff is happening yeah. so um but some people it works and that's great um 
you know, in terms of finding a professional, there's a bunch of different like referral sites. We 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 prefer Zencare um, as a as a place for someone to go and look for somebody. Um, they have you know you can go search for different specialities by location. There's like a, a video of the clinician that's yeah. on there to kind of you can kind of hear that person, which helps, which I yeah. think is helps yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, there's other places too, like Psychology Today is one of the more popular ones. You know. Personally, I think it's really difficult for a person who's searching to just scrolling through a bunch of different faces yeah. and they all kind of start blending together. It's so yeah. it's really hard. I think that the best place to be is to get a personal referral. So if you know yeah, someone, word of mouth, oh, yeah. word of mouth, yeah. I think is the best um, because you get a better picture of the person you can be going into work with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's definitely the, the biggest one. I think and when you're, you're trying to find somebody. It's okay if the first person you meet doesn't feel like a good match. Yeah. I think a lot of times, and especially now, finding someone with availability is hard. And I think it's causing maybe some people to sort of like, oh, yeah, I got to gotta meet with that person because I finally got an appointment. Yeah. And, I, and I think it's okay uh, giving people permission if you meet with someone and it doesn't feel like a good vibe to just say, you know, it doesn't feel like it's going to be a good mm-hmm. fit and find someone. That could take a couple people to get could, in front yeah. of, um, yeah. which I know as a person can be frustrating, but the work is far better when you're sitting in front of somebody that you're like, I can do this person. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you're reaching out for people, most clinicians, if they don't, they should be doing free consultations. Most don't, which to me is... Baffles yeah, me. I know. I don't it know. Baffles. We do that and we we found that that is so important uh, for us and the clients. I think it's it's really good for the therapist to make sure that, that you feel like it's a good fit and you can help this person. Right. Because if you meet them for 20 minutes and you just, based on the issues that, that they might be dealing with and your experience as a clinician or whatever, you decide that, you know, I don't think this is a great fit. I think I should find someone else. That's in the best interest of the client and you as a clinician. Right. So uh, to me, there is a no-brainer to do that. We have always done that. Mm-hmm. I think clients have have liked that because it gives them a 20-minute intro to us where we talk about our approach. Mm-hmm. You paint a picture. And then the client can be like, all right, I, I like what this dude has to say. This seems like a pretty good possibility. I'll give it a shot. Yep. Or they might be like, I don't think that's this, this is a good fit. I think it should you know, go elsewhere. What do you recommend? And yep. I'll always give them other names or that kind of thing if the person yep. doesn't feel like it's a good fit. Absolutely. And, and and the other thing too, I guess it's maybe sounds a little bit hypocritical, but also too, I think that you know, the person might, it, it's a hard process, especially yeah. if it's the first time you're going in to meet with a therapist and it's completely new. And sometimes you got to give it a, a couple of times for yep. you to be able to meet with that person to sort of start to establish a rapport. Mm-hmm. Trust doesn't just happen because you've chosen to go in to work with somebody in therapy. Yeah. It takes a few, you know, it takes a while for that to sort yep. of develop. And so if it really feels like it's not going to be a good fit or the person doesn't specialize in what you're looking to do, then maybe it's not a good fit. Mm-hmm. But if it is a person that specializes in what you do, sometimes giving it a few sessions can be really helpful. And sort of, yep. I've, I've heard that before where people say, you know, I and I stopped before really I needed to, or, you know, I, I, in the beginning it was really uncomfortable, but then the more that yeah. we got to work, yep. it was like, wow, this is really starting to click. So I'd encourage people, um, when they're reaching out to people or reaching out to, you know, other places, ask for a consultation. If they do free consultations, they should, mm-hmm. they don't. It's in, in my opinion, I think it's a little bit of a red flag. Kind of. Um, not necessarily that the work can't be done or they're not good clinicians, but just feels like a service that everybody in our field should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, if it doesn't feel like a good fit, say that and say, this doesn't feel like it's going to be a great fit. Do you have anyone else that you think I could get in touch with based on, you know, our conversation today? Um, and then if it does feel like a good fit, but it's a little more uncomfortable or it's challenging for you, then give it a few sessions and yeah, see how it yeah. goes from there. I agree. I think, you know, you get an initial consultation just to make sure that, that there's some level of comfort there in terms of like you seeing, a you know, keeping an open mind, seeing potential yeah. working with this person. In a consult, unless it's like 
clearly a bad fit, I think it's worth going forward. Mm-hmm. And then once you give it a shot, you, I, I really think you need three, four sessions to be able to gauge, like, what is my fit with this person? Have we started to make progress? If not, why not? Right? That being, yeah. being honest about their own participation in that, because that's a two-way street. Sometimes, you know, if, if a client comes in and four sessions in, they're not willing to get into things, that's, that can be a barrier. So mm-hmm. I think people have to to give it at least four sessions and be honest with themselves about am I am I keeping an open mind? Am I giving this this a chance? Yep. To then evaluate uh, and after four, if they've been open minded and they've really given it a shot and they're not feeling a connection, then mm-hmm. it's time to maybe switch to turn it. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Um, coaches, I think the one thing I would say is that coaches. You know, I don't want to like you know sound like we're being negative towards coaches. I think, no, co- I think they coaching help a is lot great of people. and they help a ton of people. Yep. I think it's it's just they're not. A lot of them are not licensed clinicians, so it's mm-hmm. ideal to find someone who does both. I mean, that way you get both sides. Right. And then there's times when you don't need a licensed clinician, you know, uh, and coaches are very good at focusing on specific things. That's what I would say. If you're working with a coach, make sure you're going to them for like one thing that they specialize in, career coaching, executive coaching, that kind of stuff. Like yeah. they're going to focus on that one area of life and they're going to be an expert in that yeah, as a highly coach. specialized. Yeah, highly mm-hmm. specialized, um, aware of the changes in that landscape or that market. And they'll be able to kind of like, you know, get you results quickly. Ideally, that's mm-hmm. the goal, right? Executive coaches, career coaches, they're, they're really good at that. Um, look for coaches that do, you know, specific, they work on specific niches or like focus on a specific issue. Yeah. And understand the their limitations. Go. Yeah. Right? Like they understand like this isn't, this isn't a realm that I can help with. Here's some options and places that you could go to do some of that stuff, which, which is what clinicians do. If we're working with someone that doesn't feel like a good fit, that's what we do, right? This, yeah, isn't, this isn't the realm yeah. of my scope. Yeah. I'm going to refer you out to someone that does this more specialized work. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. So that's, uh, we just wanted to give, you know, listeners a, a little bit of a heads up of how to navigate that um, because it is a daunting kind of process and especially when someone's struggling already and now they have to like do this search for clinicians and try to find the right one. I mean, it's stressful and there are already a lot of them are, a lot of people are already hurting. So it's like trying to get through that is difficult. I would just encourage people to, to keep going and try to find that person that, that you connect with enough to start opening up because it, it is worth it and it can help. Yep. Um, so I think that's it for this, um, for this episode. Again, we're just trying to recap episodes one through 10 of the Grim Drive podcast so far uh, and give you some of our takeaways and some of the things that we think are into to discuss to that next level like we did today uh, we'll be back next time for the next episode we're going to actually preview uh, episodes 11 through 20 and maybe uh, discuss some possible episodes after episode 20 uh, just to get into what's upcoming what you have to look forward to and uh, we'll go from there so thank you for, for joining us today for the Grim Drive podcast we will talk to you next time thanks everyone